Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well this week. This week we're continuing our series about prophecy and we're going to be exploring Bible prophecy this week. Understanding Bible prophecy is the title of this week's message. The reason why we need to take the time to understand Bible prophecy is because it is the basis of all prophecy. God's timeline of events have been revealed to us in the Word of God. The things that he wanted to let us know about, he has let us know about, and is here for us to read and take the time to digest and be encouraged by. And that's what I want you to experience today, that encouragement that God wants to offer to you by having a confidence in him and his word. You know, the Bible says that every word of God proves true and he is a shield for those who take refuge in him. That's Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. And so that's why we take the time because his word proves true. And of course, God's prophecies, God's prophetic utterances throughout the centuries have been fulfilled uh, and many are still to be fulfilled. But of course, we can look at the ones that haven't been fulfilled and the ones that will be fulfilled and we can know where we are on those timeline of events. You see, nothing is outside of God's power. Nothing's outside of God's wisdom. He is the one orchestrating his plans through history. It's not just history, it's his story. And in Isaiah 46.10, this is when God says of himself, this incredible statement, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So we need to take the time to understand what has been revealed to us, what are his purposes, his purposes that will stand. And we need to know that, we need to come to an understanding of that, not through what we think intellectually, but through what has been revealed to us through the Holy Bible. It's been revealed to us for our good. He wanted us to know these things, but it's also for his glory as well. Amos 3.7, where it says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So right there, we know that God has revealed his secrets to his prophets in the past. He still does it. But the prophets are the ones who wrote the Bible and the Bible proves true. And so we need to take the time to understand that. And I said this in the first message, but I'll say it again, that the proof or the greatest proof that the Bible is the word of God is that its prophecies prove true. They come true. One third of the Bible uh, some scholars believe is pertaining to prophecies or is about prophecy and so it's you know a huge theme that we need to take time to understand you know one third of the bible is bible prophecy so it's not something we could ever skip over and so the hebrew bible prophecies or the old testament prophecies as we would call them as christians um, many of them came true in the time of the old testament but many of them didn't come true until Jesus walked the earth and we, we've already explored the fact that over 300 prophecies, a lot of scholars believe this, that actually relate to the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. So you find them in the Old Testament and they point to the coming of the Messiah and Jesus fulfilled um, all of those prophecies and the ones that he hasn't relate to when he will come again and 
it's so it's amazing when you take the time to match them up old testament and new testament see what was said what was fulfilled and what's to come and you can put it all together and it's a great study it's a great bible study to do and it's so encouraging and so jesus obviously knew this he was aware that he was fulfilling bible prophecies things that even wasn't obvious to the people at the time it's only when the early church could look back and go actually that was what was being fulfilled you know that was what was happening here in the old testament they didn't call it the old testament they called it the scriptures and um, and of course jesus says this when he had raised from the dead in luke chapter 24 and after jesus had risen from the dead he appeared to the disciples and said to them this is what i told you while i was still with you everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of moses the prophets and the psalms then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and today in this time we're asking the lord we are coming to the lord and asking him to open our minds to understand the scripture and jesus says everything that is written about him must be fulfilled elsewhere jesus says that the word the scriptures you seek the scriptures but they pertain to me and so that's what we need to be aware of so it's not the, just the fact that the bible is a supernatural book that predicts future events, world events, you know, we're not trying to be futurologists or, or anything weird like that. We are looking at who Jesus is, we're looking at what Jesus is doing, and what he will do. It's all about him. Okay, so it's not about trying to predict what's going to happen on this day in the future. It's about being aware that he's the one who, who declared the end from the beginning. and He is the one fulfilling those things as time goes on. And we need to be aware of what he's doing, where we are, and how we can respond to him in this time. It's so, so crucial. And so right now, we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And I'm going to be talking about that as well today. Not just the first coming of Jesus, but the second coming of Jesus. And that was is when all prophecy will be fulfilled and sealed up. When it will be completed. You know, and this is the thing that we can't ignore. You know, if we, if we don't have a confidence in the word of God, we need to remember this, that... He fulfilled over 300 of those Bible prophecies when he came. But there's over 500 prophecies that relate to his second coming. And if he fulfilled the 300 plus in the past, then we can be confident as we live in this time, this in-between time, that he will fulfill those events. He will fulfill those uh, prophecies, both New and Old Testament prophecies relating to what's to come. And some of you today may have heard some teaching on Bible, Bible prophecy already, and some of you may have not heard much at all. And so I want to make this something helpful to, to everyone listening today, because it's not something to be hesitant about, it's not something to avoid, it's not something weird or scary that we should never look into, or that's just for scholars. It's, it's, it's for all of us. It's, it's there for us to unpack. And by knowing what the Bible says, like I've already said, allows us to posture ourselves for now and how we're, what we're supposed to be doing now, how we're supposed to be living and thinking now. It, it really matters that we, we're aware of these things. And of course, Jesus is coming again. And in this time, he wants the gospel, his gospel of the kingdom, to be going forth into the world. He wants the message of his salvation going forward into all the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes this about the church age. He says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who wrote of the grace 
that was to come to you, search intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels longed to look into these things. Do you hear what it's saying? The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, they spent time with God. They got revelation from God. They received the gospel of Jesus Christ before Jesus was even on the earth and preached it to you so that you could understand it and receive it at the proper time. And as they did, as they penned those words about the Messiah, they got they got revelation, they got insight, they, they, they saw things that would happen with the Messiah. And not only with the Messiah uh, and Jesus' death, his resurrection, but also what would follow that. And so that's, that's so important. It's about the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. And they're both in there in the Old Testament. The Old Testament writers, they of course saw beyond the cross and they saw right to the end of time in some of the things that they would see, the visions and the revelations they would have from God, which ended up in our Bible. And I love that line in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, that said, even angels longed to look into these things. You know, angels, they didn't know clearly from this verse what was to come with Jesus becoming a man, stepping down from heaven and, and suffering in our place. And they were interested to know how it would work out, how God's redemptive plan would work out for the world and they long to look into it and we should long to look into it as well. So I want to take some time now to look through some of these prophecies, uh, both New and Old Testament prophecies. I can't go through every prophecy, I can't go through 300 or 500 prophecies with you, but I can go through some of the key ones with you today and of course leave it up to you to do your own research and to continue reading and researching into this topic. There's no end to what you're going to find. It says in the Bible that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and search it out is the glory of kings. Okay, so if you want the glory of kings, if you want the royal glory of kings, as it talks about, that you're going to experience by, by searching out a matter that God has hidden, then you're going to be blessed. You're going to be so blessed. You know, I love looking at these scriptures and I have done for some time. I'm surprised that other people really don't care too much for them because there's so much there. And, of course, it says that sometimes God conceals a matter. So sometimes, you know, the prophecies, the parables, the visions, they're not always so obvious. They're sometimes a little bit cryptic. They have sometimes a hidden meaning. But once you, you get the imagery, you get what's going on, the actual meaning and interpretation is, is actually quite clear. And so... You're going to have to maybe go back over some of these things again and, of course, keep reading and researching. I just want to whet your appetite today and, and start this off for you. So, of course, like I said, okay, 300 plus prophecies of Jesus uh, and his life. Well, what were they? Okay, you know, can you give any examples? Well, I'll give you one. Micah chapter 5 speaks about where he's going to be born. Okay, and of course it says, But you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he was from the royal line of David. Psalm 22 is another one of those places 
uh, in the word of God that was always seen to be a prophecy about the Messiah. And of course, Jesus says, you're going to find prophecies about me in the law. That's the Torah, the Pentateuch, okay, the five books of Moses at the start of the Bible, the prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, so on, and the Psalms as well. So he's, he's in the whole Old Testament. Psalm 22, written about 1,000 years uh, BC, speaks about what's going to happen with the Messiah. And of course, verse 1 of Psalm 22 reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? And then just skipping down, just so you can see what's going on here, verse 12 reads, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue st sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots on my garment. And there's more to it. There's more to that psalm. I'm just giving you the just a snippet here. But I wonder, as you're hearing that, I wonder, does any of that sound familiar to anything that happened with Jesus? Well, of course, there's Matthew 27, which really strongly correlates to what what happens in Psalm 22. And this is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been he's been nailed to the cross. And his hands and his feet have been pierced, of course. That's what happens at the crucifixion. And Matthew chapter 27, when you read from verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lamech Shabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of them, some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So what happened at the cross? Well, it matches with Psalm 22. The people gloated over him as he hung there. The Pharisees mocked him, the crowds mocked him, they tried to silence him. And of course, they they may have been aware that he was quoting the, the 22nd Psalm. It was a psalm that was always seen to be about the Messiah. You know, in the commentaries, the Jewish commentaries outside of the Bible, they said, what is this about, the psalm? It's going to be about the Messiah. And the, the Messianic Psalm starts with Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God, okay, so they're there and they're gloating and they're saying, oh, he's calling on Elijah. But Jesus wasn't saying Elijah. He was saying, Eli, my God. And just like the psalm, that's how, he, that's how he cries out. And they maybe tried to silence him with that vinegar in the mouth. You know, it's a, a horrible thing they did to Jesus in that moment. And of course, that is there in, in the psalm as well. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I'm dehydrated. My bones stick out of joint. There's so many um, parallels there. And of course, how did Jesus die? How did Jesus actually die when he was on the cross? Did he bleed to death? No, he would have 
had a huge heart attack, a huge heart failure, which is, you know, his heart, his heart literally broke for the world. Do you know that? He broke, he, he broke himself for you and for the world. But his heart, his physical heart, literally would have collapsed. And of course, Psalm 22 says that my heart melts within me like wax. And there's so many parallels. And of course, the casting of lots or gambling for his clothes as well is there in Matthew 27, verse, verse 35. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And that is in Psalm 22 as well. All these very specific details. You know, that's the thing about prophecy. It's never vague. It's never, you know, there'll be this Messiah one day does this nice thing. It's so specific in details. And of course, Matthew's gospel is addressed to a Jewish audience and allows the Jewish audience to see what was written and what happened. And of course, Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God. And of course, he always called God Father. But in this moment, he said, my God, because he was separated from the Father in that moment. He became sin that we may become the righteousness of God. And, and you know, he did that for us. He was separated from the Father for that moment so that we would never be separated from God for a moment. That's, that's the gospel. And of course, Psalm 22 says, you lay me down in the dust of death. And, and then Psalm 22 ends with the hope that he will come back again. So again, you can see the parallels with the resurrection, but the place in the scripture that clearly, clearly, you know, even more clearly than Psalm 22 that speaks about the death and resurrection of Jesus is, of course, Isaiah chapter 53. And it says this, written by the prophet Isaiah. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that bore us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people. He was punished. There's more to it. There's a longer chapter there. But it couldn't get, even from this, it couldn't get any clearer who it's talking about. The early church, the New Testament, they always point to Isaiah 53 in different sections of it. And of course, it's the smoking gun of the Old Testament, uh, showing that undeniable evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. And, you know, I can imagine Jesus opening this particular scripture to his disciples and said, this is what was spoken about. This is what I spoke to you about when I was with you. And, and of course, there are other places he would have done that as well. But you see that he was pierced, he was bruised, he was rejected uh, for God's people, for the sins of God's people. And so there's other predictions here as you go through the chapter, like he'll be buried in a rich man's tomb. That happened with Jesus. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And later on in the chapter, it says after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You know, he dies and he rises and he will make intercession for God's people. I watched a video a while back of a, a Jewish Christian um, who's reading this whole chapter of Isaiah 53 uh, in Hebrew in, to these Jews. 
and saying, well, do you recognize this scripture? Where do you think this is? Do you think this scripture that I'm reading to you is in the Old Testament or the New Testament? And many of them were saying, well, it must be in the New Testament because it sounds like the Christian story about Jesus. And he said, you're wrong. It's actually in the Old Testament. It was written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was even born. And, you know, a lot of them don't even know about this scripture. And the ones that do, they, they have a weird interpretation of it, like, well, it's, yeah, the, the suffering servant is, is Israel. But how can, how can Israel suffer for Israel? It's not, a, it's not a great interpretation. The Jews throughout, up until the Middle Ages, always pointed Isaiah 53 as a prophecy about Messiah. So he took up our pain, he took up our suffering. Now, have you noticed that it's all past tense language and it was past tense language and there's a reason for that and of course like that 1 Peter chapter 1 scripture says it says that the prophets saw the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow now what is one of those glories to follow well one of them and you see this right throughout the bible is that God will uh, in the end times uh, around the time of the second coming, either leading up to it or just after, it's not 100%, but Israel, the Jews, will come to faith in Jesus. There's, that's a, a promise uh, in the Bible. And so I wonder if when you read this, there's a way of going, okay, surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, we rejected him, we hid our faces from him. It's all the language of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And then it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. So you wonder if, if that, even that, section of the scripture is kind of the future point even future from now going the jews locking back at jesus and going he 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 paid the price for us yet we rejected him and you know as you go through the scripture for example romans 11 chapter 11 written by paul he talks to the non-jews in the church and tells them about when the jews will be brought into the family of god again through faith in Jesus and Paul says so in Romans 11 verse 4 I don't I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery my brothers and sisters so that you may not be conceited Israel has experienced a hardening in part a hardening of heart that's what it means a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in and in this way all of Israel will be saved as it is written the deliverer will come from Zion he will turn godlessness away from Jacob and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And despite the fact that the Jews hovered in their hearts against Jesus, one day they will be softened, they will turn back and, and be saved uh, through Jesus. And of course that will culminate at the second coming of Christ. And right now many, many Jews are, are coming to faith. Okay, so God is doing something with Jews. We're going to talk about that more next week with Jill. But of course... There, there are so many scriptures pointing to other things that will happen in the end times. And of course, Matthew chapter 24 is one of those places. And this is when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he gives what's called the Olivet Discourse, basically his, his speech on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this is so, I mean, it sounds so familiar to our time, doesn't it? You take a look over all these things. Uh, the first one is don't be deceived. And of course, deception is, is rife. And it's saying that there's going to be false messiahs, people claiming they're the messiah. You know, we know that's happening. Um, even in the papers the other week, there was a guy who's been arrested in Russia for uh, claiming to be the messiah and leading this kind of cult of hundreds and I don't know, thousands of people. I don't know how many it was. But it's not just these odd little messiah people that pop up claiming they're the Messiah. There's also something a lot more pervasive uh, that's gone on in, in the world, and that is to do with uh, the false teachings and doctrines that essentially say you are Christ, you are the Messiah, you are your own saviour, you are to attain Christ consciousness. That's a big teaching of the New Age. And the New Age is so rife in everything that we see, you know, popular speakers and, and you know, popular culture just love the whole new age stuff and don't really know where it comes from and I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about many will claim they are Christ and will claim I don't need a saviour because I am the saviour and uh, you are your own God and all that kind of thing and uh, what else will happen in the end times uh, worldwide persecution okay uh, false prophets increased wickedness of course that could be things like abortion and you know, genocides and all the things that, that have happened in in the past hundred years or so they are, they are all increasing. Earthquakes are becoming more frequent in, in the world. There's proof of that. Um, you know, there's all these things increasing, accelerating, accelerating as you get towards the end. We, we, they're what Jesus calls the birth pains of the end. So, you know, like with a birth, there's the contractions. The, the frequency of those contractions increases as you get closer to the birth. Okay, and Jesus says, don't be alarmed when you see these things. These things must happen. And what's happening? What's the main thing? What's the thing that even though all this chaos and craziness is going on in the world and some translations, some manuscripts of Matthew 24 add in that there will be pestilence. Okay, so disease will be rife in the end times. Okay, COVID. What is the thing we need to be focusing on according to Jesus? He's saying the, the gospel will go forth until the end. If you just stick it out till, till the, that time, Christians, Christians in the world, who are persecuted in Iran and North Korea and all these places where even the gospel is going forth, even though persecution is so strong, it's so hard to be Christian there, then remember you're going to be saved in the end. You're going to be okay in the end. You're going to be redeemed. Look up. Your redemption's coming. That's the encouragement that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago. And we read this as an encouragement to us as the end time church that we are. And, you know, people are coming to faith all over the world in, in huge numbers in places you wouldn't expect, you know, Christ for All Nations, led by Reinhard Bonnke and now Daniel Kalender, are a ministry that have been in Africa for for the last 30 plus years. And they've seen 79 million registered decisions for Christ, over 79 million registered decisions 
in, in places in Africa. You know, in the year 2000, there was one event where a million people made a decision for Christ. You just can't get your head around the scale and the numbers of, of that happening, but that did happen. And, and these are things that never happened before in the past. These are things that never happened in previous generations and previous centuries, but they're happening now. And they're happening at the same time as all the end time craziness, but the gospel will go forth to the end of the earth and then the end will come. Do you know, the church is going online. The church and the, the proclamation of the gospel is increasing as well. The Bible is being translated into languages that it has been translated into before and that's happening very quickly as well and so I don't think we're far off the end you know when you see these things happening but it could be another hundred years but I don't think so I think it's going to be much sooner than that and that's good because when Jesus comes again he will bring a new world order and he will establish his kingdom and all this nonsense all this sin all this unrighteousness is going to be put put away with and ah, it's just so good that's that's the hope we need to have. That's that's the attitude we need to have. It's it's a positive attitude towards these things. And of course, Jesus does mention that the world is going to see the coming of uh, an antichrist figure, and he's going to be a world leader who will be present in the end times. And so, in Matthew twenty-four verse fifteen, Jesus said, "So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand." So Jesus points our attention back to book of Daniel. Of course, Daniel is one of those places in the scripture where it not only speaks about the coming of Christ, but a coming of the Antichrist as well. So that's why Jesus points our attention back to Daniel. And there are two incredible streams of prophecy coming through the book of Daniel. There's one that predicts the future kingdoms leading up from Daniel. So it predicts that there's going to be the Babylonian kingdom coming to an end, another kingdom coming, which is the Persian Empire, then another kingdom coming which is the Greek Empire, and then there'll be this fourth kingdom, and of course that's the Roman Empire, and it says that that's when the Messiah is going to come. Okay, then there's another, so that's Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 9 speaks about how there's going to be a certain number of years from Daniel's time until when the Messiah will come, and he will atone for wickedness, and 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 so on. It's, it, and it speaks about what the Anointed One will do. It's so clear that it's about... Jesus and that's Daniel chapter 9. So you can take the time to look at those. They are a little bit extensive, a little bit cryptic, but I've left a couple of links below by a Bible teacher called Chuck Missler and you can look at those prophecies and, and see what they're about. But essentially Daniel sees that there's going to be this kingdom, the Roman Empire, the Messiah is going to come and he is going to set up his kingdom during that time. There's different ways of looking at this because there's also a sense that maybe the Roman Empire will die a death and then come back in a different form. Okay, and some people think, is that the European Union? But the, the crucial thing to know is that Jesus is going to come. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. That's the kingdom of God. That is what Daniel is talking about. And so do look up those prophecies because it's amazing that even the date of when the Messiah is going to come, if you add it up, it lands on 32 AD. I mean, how clear could it get? So do look at those videos by Chuck Missler. You're going to enjoy those. And of course, 
well, what else is going to happen? There's a seven-year tribu tribulation period, but there's also the rapture of the church, okay? So I'm talking about the fact there's going to be a tribulation period when the Antichrist is on the earth. But really, as you study the Bible, it doesn't look like the church is here at that point. And of course, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You know, we're supposed to encourage each other with Bible prophecy. And we're encouraged to, to, to lock up and to look forward to that day. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is another letter where Paul is having to kind of address uh, the teaching of eschatology or the end times. And he talks about when the Antichrist is revealed. But he talks about how the church will be out of the way at that point. And that seems to be relating to the rapture. So when the church is taken, that is when the Antichrist will come. So those things you read about in the book of Revelation, okay, we're going to be in heaven as God rains down judgment on the kingdom of the Antichrist, the day of his wrath, okay? And so so we need to be encouraged by that. And then we will return with him at his second coming. And you read that in Revelation chapter 19, it's towards the very end of the Bible. And then that's when the kingdom will be fully established on the earth and to never be destroyed. And so, so I know it's a lot to take in if you're hearing that for the first time. And I'm, I'm summarizing a lot of Bible there. So take your time to look at these things. And I hope this has whet your appetite for more. But what you have to understand about the Antichrist man, just, just this is one thing that's so important to understand. He's going to be ruling on the earth for a seven-year period. okay? But he's going to come at a very opportune time for him. We don't know when that seven-year period will begin. We know that there's a period of time from Daniel to Jesus. okay? But then this seven-year week, this sorry, this seven-year tribulation, we don't know when that will happen. That could happen any time, really. It will happen at a time when he will have the opportunity to conquer nations, to make them serve him. You know, for decades, you know, Bible prophecy teachers have talked about things that will accompany the coming of the Antichrist, um, that he will make people wear a mark of the beast, okay? He'll make, make people wear a physical mark on their body that they can't buy or sell without it. And of course, what's happening now in the world it seems like the stage is set for things like that. We're being told now that you know, we might need to be vaccinated. Okay, that's not the mark of the beast. But could it lead to the mark of the beast? You can buy things with microchips in your hands. Okay, I mean, and there's also a brain microchip now that's been invented. Both of these have come out this year, by the way. Uh, just a coincidence there. But, you know, if we fail to see the connection between what the Bible talks about and these things. You know, I think we, we could be a little bit blind there because these aren't things I'm saying to scare you. These are just more signs of the times. That's all they are that we need to realize maybe we're really, really close to when Jesus is coming again. We need to be prepared for that and the world needs to be prepared for that because if they're not with him right now, if they're not saved, if they're not walking with him, that they're going to get sucked into this kingdom and they're going to be judged with the Antichrist by God in that time. Okay, and it's not going to be good. And so you don't want to miss when Jesus called home the church. And of course, that, that glorious blessed hope that we can have in the rapture. This is when Bible prophecy will be sealed up, when Jesus comes again. There's more to it. There's more details. So many things to go into. But this is just to whet your appetite. This is just to give you a flavor. And of course, Jill next week is going to give the final message 
in this series where she's going to be talking about Israel and God's plans for Israel both now and in the future. So don't miss that. But remember, let's posture ourselves in the position that God's called us to now, which is to proclaim the gospel, to be prepared, to not be disturbed by the things that we're seeing. So these are the things that must happen. And so be encouraged by these words. That's why Paul says, encourage each other with these words, because we need to, to keep our mind at peace and at ease with God through these times. So thank you for listening today. And I look forward to sharing with you soon. God bless.